Would you bow your head, please, and let's pray. Father, thank you that it is true that you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, undeserving, in fact, we were enemies, um, you sent your Son into the world to pay the sacrifice for our sins. And we are grateful, Father, that you offer freely um, the free gift of, uh, of eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, and a right relationship with you. And, um, and that you meet us uh, even in our continued weakness and um, even when we fail you, even when we sin. The work of the cross continues in full mercy and grace to us. Thank you, Father. And we worship you this morning, and we pray that what we've offered you in praises so far this morning have uh, been pleasing to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome. Good morning. Glad you're here with us at Fellowship Bible Church. Welcome to uh, those of you online, and uh, as well as uh, our F3 group downstairs. Good morning to you folks. Um, I just want to say uh, good morning to uh, Robbie and Shannon Langford from uh, just south of Lake George. Uh, Robbie pastors New Hope Community Church. They were passing through, saw our church and said um, we, we, we need to be there this morning. So glad you could be with us and thanks for your fellowship and worship uh, of the Lord up in, uh, up in that state of New York. Glad you could be with us. 1899, a group of men uh, businessmen got together for fellowship and encouragement uh, with one another. And 122 years later, that organization of Christian men and professional uh, businessmen and their wives continued to meet called Gideon's International. And uh, Dan Highway and his wife Karen are with us. So Dan, why don't you join, us, join me up here? Dan is the executive director of Gideon's International from Nashville, Tennessee. They've had uh, a state convention down in uh, Harrisonburg. And... Uh, Thanks for being with us, Dan, and for the work uh, of uh, Giddings International. I'm just going to give this mic to you, and you share what the God has laid on your heart. Thank you, Pastor. Charles Regis Nathan was 18 years old when he came from India to the United States. Some friends said to Charles one day, let's go to the beach and have some fun. So they went. Charles was not a strong swimmer as he went out into the ocean. He got caught in an undertow and pulled further and further from the shore. Back in India, Charles had been raised by a Hindu mother. His father was Catholic, but really had no involvement with God. And Charles remembers thinking as he went under the water for the last time, God, I don't want to die. Coming to on the beach, Charles said he, he thought maybe I, that he was in heaven. He looked around and saw his friends and said, hmm, guess not. But the events of that day got Charles to thinking, what is the meaning of life? Charles began to dig into his Hindu roots and said he just couldn't find truth there. You see, Charles was a computer science major in college and he had a very logical mind and he just couldn't make all of the things in Hinduism equal. Some friends said that Islam would help him and dig into the Muslim religion and so he did that and he said again as he dug into it he just didn't find the truth there. Well one day Charles finished working a, on a laboratory uh, in the computer lab there on campus and he was crossing campus 
and a man was standing there, and as Charles approached him, he said, could I offer you a free copy of the Word of God? Charles said, he said an operative word for a college student, free. So Charles took that testimony, he took it back to his dorm room, and as he got to his dorm room, he took and he tossed it on his desk. Charles must have been a college student, must like me. His desk became cluttered with papers, and that word of God laid there hidden for several weeks. One day Charles looked at his desk, decided he needed to clean it up, and he began cleaning his desk, and he encountered that copy of the word of God. He sat down on the edge of the bed, and as he sat there, began to read. And he said, never had I read about a man like this man, Jesus. Never had I read about a man who could heal the blind, who could heal the lame, who would touch lepers. He said, I knew a friend down the hall that claimed to be a Christian. I ran down the hall, knocked on his door, said, tell me about this man, Jesus. The friend took him to a pastor, and Charles received Christ as his Lord and Savior. We're the Gideons International. As the pastor mentioned, two men came together back in 1898, actually, and they formed the association called the Gideons International in 1899. Today we operate in 200 countries, territories, and possessions around the world. We operate as an extension of the local evangelical church, and in fact you have a number of Gideons right here in your church already. On your behalf, we go to the traffic lanes of life, placing the Word of God in an effort to win the lost for Christ. We mobilize the limited time that a busy Christian business and professional man have in a way that allows him to impact this world for the Lord's glory. Since 1908, when we began placing scriptures in hotel rooms, 2.4 billion copies of the Word of God have gone out around the world. And we thank you on, for your support on behalf of the Gideons International, allowing us to do that work for you. This last year has been a tough year for us, I will tell you that. Uh, with a pandemic, uh, <laughs> it's just been a tough year. You probably know that from your own experience. But even this last year, when literally every scripture venue distribution around the world was closed, we were able to place nearly 29 million copies of the Word of God into the hands of waiting people who need Jesus. Why do we do all of this? Isaiah 55:11 tells us, the Word of God will not return void without accomplishing that for which he sent us. Men, women, boys, and girls come to know Jesus as their Savior through his Word. Your Gideons here in your local area are very active. They go to, the, to your uh, uh, Warren, I got the names here. I don't know the local names, I'm sorry. They go to your Valley Health Hospital system. Apparently there are three hospitals, 600 testaments a year going into your local hospitals. The Frederick County and Winchester Jail, nearly 400 copies of the Word of God each year go there. Two different county fairs, Frederick County and Warren County, almost 3,000 copies of the Word of God going into the hands of the youth in this community. They go to the Apple Blossom Festival and another 3,000 copies of the Word of God go out. You have 35 hotels in this area, and they go to the hotels and they place copies of the Word of God in those hotel rooms. More than 4,000 hotel rooms located in this local area and three hotels under construction, they tell me. Well, Greg Falls was eight years old when he decided he was going to be an atheist, and as Greg grew up, his, his atheism and his, the way he chose to live his life became a real challenge for his mom. And his mom one day just decided that she needed to send him off on a trip. And so she sent him with a local youth group and, and they went on a trip and they stayed in a hotel room on this trip that they went on. As he and the other three men that stayed in that hotel room, by this time Greg was 16 years old, 
as they got ready to check out of the hotel room, one of the guys yelled, steal everything that's not nailed down. So they went through the room, gathering up all the stuff that wasn't nailed down. And Greg opened a drawer, and there laid a book, a copy of the Word of God. And you know what? It wasn't nailed down. And so Greg picked it up, and he tossed it into his suitcase. And Greg said when it landed in his suitcase, he heard this voice in his head, head that literally screamed to him, read it. He said the voice was so strong and so powerful, he couldn't overcome it. So when he got home, he opened that word of God, and he actually did begin to read it. Greg received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior through that copy of the Word of God. And today, Greg Falls, who declared himself to be an atheist, serves as a pastor at a church in Kentucky. Well, let me just close today by saying if you ever encounter the Gideons when you see a Bible in a hotel room or if you're staying in a hotel room where you don't see one and you happen to think about us, if there was one thing that I would ask you to do for the Gideons International, I would ask you to pray. Pray that doors remain open. This last year, we had to close the country of Syria as one of the countries that we operate in. We've not been able to get scripture in there. We're not able to get in touch with the Gideons there. The church has been under a lot of persecution there, and we work side by side with the church. So pray for us that doors would remain open. In a pandemic, many hotels removed copies of the Word of God. Hospitals took it out. We're praying that those doors reopen as the pandemic comes to a close and we're able to get the Word of God back into those venues. So please, if there's anything you hear me say today, just pray for the Gideons International. The second thing I'd ask you to do, you have a Gideon card Bible display here. We give you the cards. We have cards to, for in memory. We have cards saying thank you. We have cards saying uh, in recognition of you. We just ask if you take the card. There's an envelope in there that tells you how to use it. If you take the card and send it, there's a way to make a donation. You can donate Bibles on behalf of somebody in memory or thanking of them or in recognition of them. The last thing I would say to you today, if you're a Christian business and professional man and God's put it on your heart that he wants to use you in a way to impact the world for his glory, I know of no better ministry that you could get involved with than the Gideons International. You can talk to your pastor about that. Thank you for allowing us to be here. May God richly bless you. Down. Thank you, Dan, and thank you for the work of Gideon's International. Spreading the Word of God around the world like Gideon's International uh, isn't accomplished without um, uh, opposition and, uh, and persecution. The evil one certainly does not want the Word of God to be spread. Uh, I think we're somewhat aware that uh, persecution around the world against Christians is at its highest in the history of the church. Um, the Ministry of Open Doors uh, has put out their latest statistics, their 2021 statistics, and it's shocking. 340 million Christians live in countries with high levels of persecution and discrimination. Uh, millions, hundreds of millions of Christians are facing that every day. They also mentioned that in the first six months of this year, almost 5,000 Christians have been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ this year in the last six months. Over 4,500 church buildings um, and other Christian-related uh, structures have been uh, destroyed because uh, they lift up the name of Jesus. Over 4,000 Christians uh, in the first six months here of 2021 have been incarcerated because of their faith. Um, stay in prison right now. 
Jesus warned his disciples in Luke chapter 21, verse 16 and 17. He says, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. You can count on it. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that the old hymn says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. The world, this world lies in the grip of the evil one. And we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is a world of opposition towards God and towards the truth of God. And um, following Jesus is just going to mean persecution. And I think it is going to be apparent more and more as we go on, even in this country, as we see just that increasing opposition to Christ and truth. Um, we should not be surprised, as Peter said, of the fiery ordeal that has come in our way. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to find that opposition and be persecuted. Now, we've been studying the book of Romans. We've been stuck there in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, about love that is without hypocrisy. And um, we've been told such things as um, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That's what love looks like. It looks like being devoted to one another in brotherly love. It looks like um, giving preference to one another and contributing to the needs of the saints. And it looks like practicing hospitality, unhypocritical love means we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. Unhypocritical love means that we are of the same mind towards one another. We're not to be haughty, we're not to have a, a, a high estimation of ourselves, rather we are to associate with the lowly. We've been taking several weeks now and, and looking at that, that passage. But it's, it, it, it's, it's easy, in one sense, to love the lovable. But what about loving the unlovable? What about, what about how, how do you love the neighbor that called the cops on you for wrong reasons? What about the boss who bypassed you for the promotion and gave it to someone who was less deserving? How do you love people like that? How do you love the school bully who keeps picking on you, your kids, your grandkids? Worse yet, or more sinister, how do you love the people who are dead set on squelching the name and the cause of Christ in this world? How do Christians love with unhypocritical love in a hostile world? Well, as Paul wrapped up this chapter 12, he addresses that. Verse 14, if you have your Bibles, Romans 12, verse 14, he tells us to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It's kind of, I think, an introductory principle, which he'll unpack starting in verse 17 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, it comes right out of the words of Jesus. If we looked at his, what's called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, uh, we read these words. It's an extended passage, but let me read it to you. Verse 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And then verse 28, there it is. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Remember this passage? 
Whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want, to treat, you want them to treat you. And if you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, well, big deal. <laughs> what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Here's the bottom line. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Bless and do not curse. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Now, verse 17, I think he begins to unpack what that looks like. Verse 17, he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. It's kind of the, the negative statement. The, the positive is the next phrase, respect what is right in the sight of all men. But it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Never pay back evil with evil to anyone. And let's face it, th th there's the tendency within us to, you know, do the old Old Testament thing, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You spit in my eye, I'm going to spit right back in yours. Don't you dare think of doing that to me. If you do that to me, I'm coming back after you ten times fold. So don't mess with me right? At least that's the fleshly tendency. But the Apostle Paul is saying, never pay back evil with evil to anyone. As Christians, we never have the right to indulge in vindictive retribution. Now, the positive statement is respect what is right in the sight of all men. It's a it's a little different wording. Um, if you have a, a King James Version, it says provide things honest in the sight of all men. Or an NIV says be careful to do what is right in the eyes of all, of all men. I kind of like the English Standard Version that says be thoughtful or give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. My translation says respect what is right. The word the word literally has the idea of give forethought to something, think ahead of time, be, be preoccupied in thought ahead of time so that you will do what is honorable, so you, you will do what is beautiful, you'll do the right thing that is right in the, in the sight of all men. I mean, whether we like it or not, we're on display, right, before people. They're watching. What is the honorable, right thing to do? And the Apostle Paul understands our nature because he understood his own nature. And the, the, the implication is uh, we would like to be imp impulsive. We like to give people a piece of our mind that we can't afford to lose. And, and impulsively, we might just bloviate over someone in like kind. They say something nasty back, uh, we'll give it right back to them. Um... When I was in sixth grade, and I, my wife oftentimes reminds me of this, it was a breakdown in my parenting for my parents. 
When I was in sixth grade, I bought a book at a bookstore entitled A Thousand and One Insults for All Occasions. I memorized that baby. In high school, they had, I grew up in a small rural community in Nebraska and, you know, 33 kids in my graduating class, but whenever we had school functions where the parents would come and the community would be invited, they would always get Mark Carey to do the emceeing of the, of the, whatever the events were, you know, the student-led things. And boy, did I use that book of a thousand and one insults for all occasions because that was my moment to let every teacher and the principal and everybody else in a moment that I had captive audience I, I cut them down to size. It was fun, fun, fun. But you know what? That can be very, very um, sinful when uh, those, those things that are etched in my mind can come out, cutting remarks to people. It's, uh, Paul is saying, give forethought to what is honorable, be careful to do what is right. We're on display. Our reaction to someone else's sin doesn't give us the right to respond in kind. Now, let me give you just a bit of a clarification. Paul is talking about our hard attitude, right? Never repay evil with evil. Uh, evil intent, selfish purposes, an intent to hurt. Never repay evil with evil. Don't participate in in revengeful retribution. What's the attitude of our heart? This is what the Apostle Paul is guarded against. And I think these exhortations don't prevent someone, listen to me, they don't prevent someone from seeking legitimate justice in certain things. You're a victim of identity fraud, let's say. Well, never pay back evil with evil. Well, no, that's not what Paul is referring to. There are legitimate legal processes that we can follow. Um, someone in the congregation is living in sin. It's hurting the body of believers. The Apostle Paul says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump of dough. There are biblical means, Matthew 18, that talks about how to deal with an, an erring member of the church. Uh, your, your children disrespect you. They said something disrespectful. Well, you know, no revengeful retribution on little Johnny or little Susie. Are you kidding me? Discipline. There, there, are, um, there, are, there are proper ways to uh, uphold God's honor without doing it with uh, revengeful evil intent, and that's what Paul is talking about. When we get into Romans chapter 13, which won't be till August, taking a little break here in July, but uh, when we get into Romans chapter 13, uh, I mean, verse 4 says, for uh, the government is a minister of God to you for good, but if we do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, and we, we get into that's an interesting deacon ministry, isn't it? That's what the word, it is a minister of God, it's a deacon ministry, and it says, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Um, there is a response to evil that is right. But what Paul is saying here is guard the heart. Respect what is right. Give forethought. Be careful. Now, 
Starting in verse 18, Paul gives some very sound advice in the form of three very practical, very practical exhortations. First of all, verse 18, he says, live peaceably with one another. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you know, there's some qualifiers. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, you can't control others. But if possible, as far as we're concerned, be at peace with all. We can't control what other people are going to do. We can control what we do in response. A number of years ago, there was a, a gal who moved into the home right next door to us. She was renting the home. There was a single mom uh, with some kids and, and, a, and, a, and a pit bull. And I would be in my study down in our basement area looking out the window, and it seemed like every morning that dog would come over into our yards and greet me with a raised leg. <laughs> and I, I sort of take pride in my yard. I fertilize it properly. I take care of things like that. And here comes the old pit bull, you know, hi, Mark, you know, doing its job in my yard. It just, it just burns me up, you know, let alone what it's doing to my yard, yellow spots all over, right? Uh, Lisa and I have to make a choice. What are we going to do? Uh, praise God for godly spouses. <laughs> uh, I would, again, just as soon give that neighbor a peace of mind. But uh, we chose not to. After all, she might find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> that wouldn't be very good, right? No, God's honor is at stake, and so we just chose to be friendly and to be nice. And, and we were. We'd greet him in the yard, we, and, and she would try to get the dog out of my yard, and, and she made a good faith effort. The dog didn't. Stupid dog. But over time, we were able to develop a relationship with her. Now, eventually, she... They had, she was evicted and they had to leave. About a year later, I was talking with a, a friend who worked with this gal, found out that they had lived next to us. And she said, oh, that's the couple that was kind to us. Had an opportunity, Lisa did, to talk about Jesus with her. And, and, um, and she would bear her soul to us. Oh, that's the couple that was kind to us. Of all the people that lived in that neighborhood, it was only Mark and Lisa who treated us kindly. Um, that was not my inclination. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with someone. It might cost you your yard or something else. But a yard is a lot less significant than someone's soul. Second of all, verse 19 and 20, another exhortation is to never retaliate. Never retaliate. Verse 19 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In verse 20, again, a quote from the Old Testament, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head in the sense that a kind answer turns away wrath. Never is sinful revenge justified, subtly or overtly. Never retaliate, but give room for the wrath of God. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. I like what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 says. It says, for, he's writing to the, 
early church and people who were being persecuted, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. They were taking their property. They were kicking them out of their homes. Persecution was setting in. And they joyfully accepted it. Why? Because they knew there was something better to come. You see, when a believer in Jesus Christ has a, an eternal perspective, things can be put into proper perspective here on, on this earth. Jesus, God said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Look, God is far more creative in coming up with revengeful things than we'll ever be. So just leave it with him. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, do the opposite. On the contrary, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're naked, clothe them. Take care of them. Acts of kindness. Because in the final analysis, God will sort everything out in eternity. Just trust him. You see, our view of God is what is going to determine any of this. If, if we have a small view of God, I think A.W. Tozer said, if you're a small godder, or are you a big godder? And if you're a small godder, then you're going to have to take control, right? You're going to have to go ahead and do revengeful things. You're going to have to step out and try to, try to set things right because you've been damaged, you've been hurt. You, you've lost your home in persecution. Or do we trust God? We talked about this last week. You know, our life on this planet, this, this little speck of sand in the ocean of all eternity, it's crucial how we're living it. Now, the ocean of eternity is coming. God will handle all the vengeance issues. He'll deal with the ungodly in his own time, in his own way. And all the Apostle Paul is saying, as believers in Jesus Christ, be careful how you treat. Now, I'm concerned in our, the age that we're living in right now. I hear stuff that we Christians are saying about, you know, what we're going to do if they come after my guns or if they do this. Where is that coming from, folks? Never pay evil with evil. Never is revengeful retribution proper for God's people. And if they walk all over us in this godless, sin-forsaken land, let them. Because God will creatively handle the vengeance thing one day. But as far as it's in our power, we live peaceably with all people. There's a third thing. Exhortation, verse 21. Verse 21. Do not, overcome be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't just ignore the evil and huddle up and complain amongst ourselves, but actually overcome evil by doing good. Abraham Lincoln, I think it was, who said the best way to overcome an enemy is to make him your friend. How do we actively engage this, this world that is hell-bent on, on squashing God's people? And it's coming to a city near you. It certainly has been coming to people around the world. 
for decades and centuries. But it's happening more and more and more in this country. We look for ways to overcome evil by doing good. And in order to do that, we have to die to ourselves because it's not fun to get stepped on all. It's not fun to be a doormat. It's not fun to lose our home in persecution. Evil is conquered by doing good. Overflowing love will eventually lead to overcoming love. And we just have to entrust it to the Lord. And we may not see it in this life. That's okay. We'll, we'll see it in the life to come. But if you give thought to this, respect what is right, give, give thought to it. How are we going to handle situations when the world is coming after us? I was talking with a friend just the other day who has uh, an acquaintance that is extremely difficult to get along with. Every time this friend and I, uh, this friend and, and this other guy get together, it's cantankerous. I mean, it's contention. It just gets very heated because this other guy knows how to push my friend's buttons. And boy, he does it in spades. I mean, he's just pushing those buttons. And, and my friend admitted, I just, I succumb to that. I just, I play that game and I shouldn't, I know it. And so he was praying about it and he said, Lord, the next time I have my meeting with this guy, this cantankerous, contentious, pain in the rear guy, Lord, I, would you put a hedge over my mouth? I, I, help me to bless and not curse. And so they had this meeting scheduled and Sure enough, I mean, they, they sat down and right away this guy started pushing the buttons. Just cantankerous and contentious. And my friend sat and listened and then he said, you know, you're right. I, I, I really apologize for the way I have acted towards you. In fact, you know, I need to apologize right now for some of the things I've harbored about you. And uh, I, it's not honoring to the Lord. And I, I really, I really want to learn how to love you. And, I, and he this is, this is what he was telling me, what he said. And he said, you could visibly see this other guy, this cantankerous, contentious guy, just all of a sudden quiet down. And in the course of the conversation, that guy hardly said another word as my friend was able to talk about Jesus with him. Um, give forethought. Now, it's, this is a supernatural thing, Right? This is not something we're going to generate in our own efforts and our own power. It can only come about through spirit-empowered enablement. We cannot do this. I don't have it within myself to do it, nor do you. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to, to be a, 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 a spirit-controlled Christian. Not I, but Christ in me. How do you, how do you obey how do you obey, obey these verses when uh, your spouse abandons you? How do you obey these verses if you have been sexually abused by a predator? How do you obey these verses if someone has, has harmed your children or damaged your reputation? I talked recently with a, a pastor friend. He doesn't live here, but... Some things happened in his church, and he said, Mark, I have, 
I feel like I have one thing that I possess other than my Lord, it's my reputation. And he said, it just got shattered to pieces by false accusations. What do you do when someone steals, another family member steals the family inheritance out from under you? How do you, how do you obey these verses? The list could go on and on and on. Now again, we'll talk about chapter 13 and the government is an avenger and there are some proper things that can be done legally. I'm not talking about that, but look, the, the, I could come up with a whole bunch of ways to justify revengeful retribution in and of my own fleshly sin. I just don't see it in the scriptures. I don't see it in the life of Jesus. I don't see it in the Apostle Paul's writings anywhere. God's people are cut out of a different bolt of cloth than what the world is. And there's no better example of that than Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. Look to him. What did Jesus do? Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 2, For you have been called for this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit ever found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him, who judges righteously. What a powerful example. Follow in the footsteps of our Lord. In this world, we're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. Look, we're going to have suffering. This world lies in the grip of the evil one. Why are we surprised of the fiery ordeals that come to Christians? But what did Jesus do? He didn't revile when he was reviled. He didn't fight back. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of unfair treatment. He's been there. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer unjustly. He's been there. And he has set an example for us to follow. He did not revile or return. He uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And again in Hebrews chapter 4 we read, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we have, yet without sin. Therefore, what are we doing with that? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That's what we do. To find mercy and, and, and grace to help in time of need. We draw to the throne of grace. We don't take matters into our own hands. Unhypocritical love, says Paul in Romans chapter 12, is the kind of love that blesses 